this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast. Rick Evans continues his series called Storyline. He continues with the illustration of a five-act play. He wraps up the fall, and then he begins discussing the narrative of the nation of Israel. Glad y'all are here. We're going to do a quick recap, and then we're going to dive in. Um, so we talked about last week, the main theme of Scripture, of this class, the number one takeaway is God is the main character. God is the main character. That's, if there's anything you take away from that, please let that be it. Um, kind of sub-themes from that, but overall themes that we are going to keep emphasizing all through the class. He's the loving, holy, creator king who restores slash renews. Those three words. Um, and we're especially going to kind of, you may have seen some of your outline so far in the last couple of weeks, a lot about king. Um, and some of the words that we're going to associate, like tonight we'll go through some passages of scripture and talk about how we see these, these themes of loving. We're going to see relationships, family. We saw a little bit with Adam and Eve. He, last week, you know, he wanted to be in the garden with him, that kind of thing. Um, holy, he's a part, he's other. Creator, he's the designer. Um, king, we're going to see, you know, the idea of kingdom and ruler. Um, and then, of course, the restore, renew, uh, the ideas of freedom, life. Freedom, and I, that's freedom, let me just say, freedom doesn't mean do anything you want. The freedom of how we work goes back to here, how are we designed. The freedom in him, um, which is a common theme more we see, especially with Paul, in him, in Christ. That's our freedom because that's our fullest. That's our, how we were wired. Um, life, life to its fullest, not just existence, but life as he intended it. Um, and relationships, restoring those relationships, both vertically, horizontally, through society, creation, all that. But... Unfortunately, we push back against that because of sin. Um, we, for relationships, we resist against it. We don't try to go in a relationship. We push back. We fight. We cause strife. Um, holy, we actually taint things. We don't make ourselves separate and other. We kind of taint the whole, the whole thing and become part of the norm and the contamination. Um, creator, designer, no, we think we know better. We have the pride and we are idolatrous kingdom, ruler, the king, we rebel against the king. That's where we saw last week of the, the fall. And then um, the restore, renew, no, we sin, we invite death in, we go back to slavery. We go back to slavery. Um, and want to be behold to sin or to what may make us comfortable, which may not be healthy. Um, it's, it's those kind of things. It gets kind of deep there, which we can dive through. Um, we're going to start going through the passages here. It's going to start picking up a little bit of steam here. Let me just say, <clears throat> we're not going to have time to go, as I may mention last week, into every book in depth, especially like a background check of every book, because that's really not what we're doing here. We're looking at the overall chronology of the story, what's taking place, and then deep diving into how it fits those themes. The overall getting deeper in the books obviously is what happens on Sunday mornings here. Um, and that's one of the great things about this church. It dives deep into that. It's also one of those things that Heather, Brian do through the Bible studies they offer. Those are some deep dives into books. Um, let me also say and stress, 
we're covering the overall themes and we're going to dive into some of these a lot of these passages and events and characters but again another aspect of scripture is meditating on it soaking it in just pondering it for a minute and sometimes words can just happen to me this morning I was going through a passage of scripture just kind of letting it in it something that I've glossed over for so long hit me hard I thought wow and actually one of those things that popped up in a podcast then happened to be in my reading to this morning one of those things like okay you've got my attention Lord and then that word that short phrase hit me and I thought oh that's something I need to examine my heart about am I really I know I believe that with my words but do I really you know live that out to really trust that that idea that concept that was in that passage so um, keep those things in mind all right any questions let me know if we're going too fast raise your hand I did not you, does everybody have the handout okay it has pretty much bullet points to it because as I mentioned last week I know some of you are in here for different reasons some in here are in here to see how these themes play out. Some are in here to find out the sequence of characters and events, that kind of thing, some for both. So I didn't want to just give you pages and pages of notes that just, you know, just clotted. You can choose what you want to write down. If everybody has a pen, if you need a pen, let me know. But everybody can kind of choose like, oh, this is the part I was wondering about. And let me write, oh, I didn't realize this happened here or this character appeared at this time, or, oh, I see how that theme is playing out in this event, that kind of thing. So I didn't, I gave you some notes, but I didn't want to, end it in, you know, give you an encyclopedia of stuff, and just, that's not what the purpose here is. So, is everybody ready? Okay. Going to do some touch-up work from last week. Last week we talked about, after the fall, one thing that happened was the family dynamics dissolved. And so, after the fall, after Genesis 1 through 3, and Adam and Eve and the fall and the whole situation, we see Cain and Abel. Um, that's in Genesis 4. Then comes to Noah, which is Genesis 5 through 9. In that, God develops a covenant with Noah. And that idea of that covenant with Noah was to not destroy the earth again. And in that, again, we see the loving creator in that covenant, the loving creator. It wasn't just about, if you read the past, it's really not just about the people. They're the primary idea, but it was about his whole creation. It was about his whole creation. So, and then, wondering about the Tower of Babel, that's Genesis 11. And that's when God really, is it time? Okay. Um, all right, so let's go to Act 3, Israel. The king forms his people, Israel. Okay, this is the period of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a common phrase in, these, in the first, throughout scripture, actually, of, of the, the patriarchs. This is also the time we're going to talk about Moses and Exodus, Joshua, and Judges and a little bit about Ruth. And here's one of the, it's going to be at the end of this class today, um, given time, it's going to be one of those first situations where we look at the chronology of the Bible and it's 
It's a little different than you may have thought on that part. The patriarchs, establishing a family. God chooses one man, one family, relationship, to carry on his mission for the world. The story of Abraham and Sarah is Genesis 11 through 25. You've heard of Abraham and Lot? That's Genesis 13. Then you have God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 and 17. And let me read that passage from Genesis 17. Because this, this is key. This is key throughout Scripture, this, this covenant right here. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Relationships, freedom, life. His mission's going out to everybody. Or the message is going out to everybody. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make the nations of you and kings, kings, king kingdom, will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God that's key and that's going to be a blessing throughout scripture a promise that God is setting out his mission. He's going to use one man, one family, to launch that mission. So in essence, God calls Abraham and tells him that he will bless him, make his name great, make him a blessing, bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him, and ultimately all, all bless all people on earth through him. That will be a constant theme, a promise throughout Scripture. And Jesus will come fulfill that, that blessing. Hagar and Ishmael, you may have heard of them. That's Genesis 16. The covenant of circumcision, that's Genesis 17. You probably have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's Genesis 17 through 18. And then we had the, the situation with Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 23 through 25. The story of, then we get to the story of Isaac and Rebekah um, in the next generation. And that's also picks up in Genesis 25 through 27. And as the, the writer of the book that we're using as our primary source talks about, this is a great breakdown of family relations. If you know that story, they, it's a mess. Um, the parents are a little partial to certain kids and the whole thing gets ugly. Um, the whole story of Jacob then, the third generation is Genesis 28 through 35. Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, Genesis 29. Jacob wrestling with God and God now names him Israel, Genesis 32. 
Then we have the children of Jacob, 12 sons, the future tribes of Israel. Then we get to the story of Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph's dreams of betrayal by his brothers, Genesis 37. The events of Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. Jacob goes back to um, Egypt. He had gone to Egypt, goes back. Genesis 46. Joseph dies, but the Hebrews are living in Egypt. Genesis 50. And that's it. Then we get to part B, and that is the part of from Egypt to Moab. Um, Moab's just across from the Promised Land, so this the rest of this section will take us up to that, that point. God uses that time as the formation of his people. So we get to Exodus. And I'll briefly go through this because obviously we're covering that on Sundays and in, um, have been in the Mitchell community groups and probably will again when we pick back up in the fall. So um, we can kind of just go through this real quick. Um, Israel's oppressed in Egypt. Um, Exodus 1, Moses is born, Exodus 2. The burning bush, the I am phrase is Exodus 3. We will see that again in the Gospels. That will be very important. The 10 plagues um, that recently they covered on Sunday mornings, Exodus 7 through 11. Um, The Passover in Exodus, Exodus 12. Again, a huge event, the Passover, huge. So hangs over the rest of Scripture. Uh, Consecration of the firstborn in the Red Sea, Exodus 13 through 14. And then some, I don't want to give away the plot, but <clears throat> Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. <laughs> In Exodus 19, um, 5 through 6, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, creator, again, there's that creator thing, you will be for me a kingdom kingdom of priests and a holy holy nation these are the words that you to speak to the Israelites Exodus 20 is where you get the Ten Commandments the tabernacle and the ark in Exodus 25 through 27 the event with the golden calf Exodus 32 who has seen the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments I, who, who thinks of that when we're going as we're going through these on Sunday mornings? I mean, it's hard not to. And when, when they were talking about the parting of the Red Sea, I mean, I just, I'm seeing Charlton Heston up there, and I, just can't, I can't help it. And, you know, it was a very helpful, the description of how wide that, that path was, because in that movie, it's not so, it's really cool how they have the water on the side, but you don't see it as a real wide path. I thought that was a great new thing, but I, you know, I, I didn't know it was just me or, You've seen Charlton Heston all over the sun. Um, the idea of cloud by day, fire by night, Exodus 40. Um, then, as the writer of the, the resource we're using mainly says, then there is disclosed the protocol for maintaining a right relationship with their king, whose royal residence is within the Israelites' camp. And then we get to Leviticus after that. And I'm going to stop here because I can go through some of these ideas of the law and sacrifice rituals and that kind of thing. But I thought there's someone here who has such a passion for this kind of thing that can really dive into it better and bring it forth. So I've asked Travis to pull away from the NBA draft here. Um, just to, 
Yeah, just just got started, I think, or was about to. Um, no, he actually was up in the parenting class, so we appreciate him coming over. And um, he's going to talk about th that aspect of it um, and what those mean, because I know that can be confusing as well. So um, here's Travis. The purpose of the law was not to bring salvation. That is not the purpose of what is happening. But there was nobody in the Old Testament that was saved as a result of following the law. Why? Because we can't follow the law. That's true of us, that's true of the Israelites. They can't follow the law. The law was not given as a way for salvation. That's not the purpose of it. And we see this throughout the law. If you look at Deuteronomy, you see in Deuteronomy 10, uh, there's a, a portion of that in your notes. Uh, but if you continue to read through that end of, uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 10, it will say that in order to obey the law, you have to have a new heart. God says you have to circumcise your heart. What that means is you have to have a new heart. You have to have a heart that is not uh, consumed with sin, that is not bound in nature to sin. So we have to have a new heart in order to obey. But what we're also told is we're not the ones who can do the new heart. So if you continue reading Deuteronomy, you'll eventually come to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And that is where God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. So you need a new heart to obey. You can't obey without the new heart. And you can't get a new heart. You can't come up with a new heart yourself. God's going to give you the new heart. So we see this in the law, and that's carried through. Projecting forward, you see this in the New Covenant, uh, where it's promised in Jeremiah 31. So if you come to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, you'll see where God says, I'm going to do a new covenant with you, with my new people, and I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. We see this in uh, Ezekiel 36, where God says, I'm, I'm going to remove your heart of stone, this heart that is bound by sin, consumed by sin, bound in the nature of sin, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, built by the Spirit. I'm going to give you a new spirit, give you a new heart. This is what God is doing. We see this ultimately fulfilled in Christ. This is all what we see in the law. This is all part of the law. This is where God is going. It hasn't changed from the beginning of time. Jesus was always the plan for salvation. The law was never meant to accomplish what Jesus alone can do. He's the only one who can provide salvation. The law was not uh, the, the primary plan. The law was not plan A, and then when God was like, oh, you can't obey well, now I need to figure out something else. So Jesus was not the backup plan. Jesus was always the plan. We saw this in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, this was always part of the plan. So the law was not given for the purpose of salvation. What the law was given for is a few things I want to highlight real quick. Um, one, it shows the depths of our sin. The law was given to point out how bad our heart really is, how much of a sinner we actually are. Um, and that tends to be the case with me. Like, if, if there's no rules and there's no boundaries, like, I'm good. As soon as you give me a rule, I'm probably going to break that rule just because that's who I am. It's how I'm wired. I don't like boundaries. I don't like rules. I don't like you telling me what I'm supposed to do, all right? So don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Just let me be. So, like, when we have laws and clear lines and boundaries, we're going to cross it. That's what we do because we're sinful people. So the law points out the depths of our sin. This is uh, what Paul says in Galatians 3, again, looking forward to why the law was given. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3, 19 through 29 where he says the law was given to show how much we're imprisoned by sin. If, if the law was for salvation, if we were saved by the law, then Christ would be unnecessary. And that's not the case. Um, so it shows us how bad of a sinner we actually are. And again, you have to remember um, that, that God knew when he gave the law, his people would not be able to keep it. So in giving the law, God still shows his love. He shows that he's a loving, yes, he's a holy. Of course it talks about holiness. So we're going to mention that in a second. But he's also a loving God because God wants to be in relationship with his people. He wants to dwell with his people, but he can't dwell with a bunch of sinners. God's presence cannot be in the midst of sin. So this is where the sacrificial system comes in. This is why the sacrificial system is so big and so important and highlighted so much throughout Leviticus 
is because this allowed a temporary impartial covering of sin so that God's presence could dwell with his people. We see this initially in the tabernacle, later with the temple and the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. So this uh, is a temporary covering. Uh, we see this especially with the Day of Atonement. You come to Leviticus chapter 16, you see the Day of Atonement. And this is such like a, a pointing forward to what Christ would do for us. So what they did, um, they would take two goats. Uh, one of those goats, the, the high priest, after sacrificing a bull to cover for his own sins, would then uh, symbolically lay on the sins, confess the sins of the entire nation of Israel. He would sacrifice that goat. And then they would take another goat, often called the scapegoat. They would lead that goat out into the middle of the wilderness, and they would release that goat to symbolize not only does the killing of the one goat show the, the payment for your sins, but then the scapegoat being released into the wilderness far away from the people shows how far our sins are removed. Now, again, they had to continually do this year after year after year. This was a partial covering. But when we come to Jesus, he is our ultimate sacrifice. He is the goat that removes all of our sin, that bears all of our penalty. He is the scapegoat that takes our sin as far away as possible. And he just removes it completely. Um, so this is the purpose of the sacrificial system. It partially covers our sin. It was also meant to show how bad our sin is. Like, imagine if this was Old Testament Israel. This is our sanctuary. Uh, so we'd be sacrificing a bunch of animals up in here. The walls would be really bloody, right? Like this is a bloody thing to sacrifice an animal. And that was that was on purpose. Like it was supposed to remind you when I sin against God, the payment for that sin is, is, is death. It's death and it's gory and it's bloody and it's messy. And that's exactly what our sin is. It's exactly what our sin is. It is so destructive. So the sacrifices, yes, demonstrate God's holiness because it can't be in the presence of sin, but it also demonstrates his love. It's God's grace that we are, our, our eyes are open to see how bad our sin actually is. It's God's grace that, that he allows us, and in his love that he allows us to see the depths of our sin and the need for repentance and to live for him. Um, all right, another thing that the law does, the law shows how to live in relationship with God and others. So this is where we see like the holy part uh, of God's character coming in. God calls his people to live in complete holiness. Uh, and the law was... Uh, was designed to show the people uh, how to be in relationship with God and others. God wants his people to be holy. You see this all throughout Leviticus. Not only that, that I am the Lord your God, but you are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The people of Israel are to live in a covenant relationship with God, and God is holy, therefore they should be holy as well. And holiness is complete devotion to God in all areas, not just in relationship with him, but in relationship to others. That's why when you read through the law, you'll see a lot of stuff dealing with God but you'll also see a lot of laws dealing in relationship with other people. Holiness is not just about a vertical relationship, it's a horizontal relationship as well. Um, and this is what the law points to. The, the, God desires his people to have what we would call, uh, in a way that I think may be helpful, an undivided life or undivided relationship with him. So the, he wants us to be complete and unified in our relationship with him and in our relationship with others. When we sin, it brings division. It, it, it ruptures our relationship with God. It ruptures our relationship with one another. That's not holiness. So God wants us to, uh, to be holy, to live an undivided life. When we're, uh, so this is when, we, when you study the law, you'll see a lot of like clean versus unclean. This is what it's talking about. Clean versus unclean is a helpful way for us to think about holy versus unholy. So uh, when the Israelites would sin in a variety of different ways, they would become unclean. Sometimes they'd be unclean for a day, sometimes it'd be a week. There's various levels, but it was all pointing to the same thing, that there's been a break. There's been a break, there's been a division in relationship between God and other people. So you become unclean. 
And being clean, going from unclean to clean is the way that we, we go from unholiness to holiness. Is that making sense? You guys tracking with me on that? Okay, so that's the language that's used in Leviticus. I want to, you know, when you see that, know what it's talking about. So the point is not necessarily the thing that makes you unclean. The point is that we are all unclean, and the only way to become clean is by living in holiness before our God, before other people. So um, that's the point of this. Is it's to show us, again, our need for a Savior to show us how to live in relationship with God and others. Um, the other thing the law does is it points to God's character. So underneath all the laws um, is God's heart. God's heart is on display. You see his heart for the oppressed when you see laws about caring for the poor, sojourners, the orphan, the widow. You see his heart for people when uh, he tries to bring in laws to protect them from idols and, and worshiping false gods. We see God's heart through all this. So um, are, are we supposed to obey all these laws? No, we're not because we're New Testament Christians. Jesus has fulfilled the law, but we can still see God's character shining brightly through the law. So we see all of these things and more when we study God's law. We see his heart for his people. We see his heart for others. Um, and the law should remind us of all of these things. It should remind us of God's character, that he's holy, that he's loving, that he's personal, that he's gracious. Um, this is what the law should remind us of. And this is what God is constantly calling his people. This is what the entire book of Deuteronomy is about, is remember your God. Remember what he has done. Um, and this is also when you study Leviticus, you're going to come, I think it starts in Leviticus 23. I might be wrong about that. Uh, but you'll see a lot of the festivals, uh, so the festival of weeks, booths, all these different things. There's a bunch of different celebrations. Some of them call for fasting. Some of them call for different sacrifices. There's, there's different things that go on. But the underlying truth behind those, that the reason God has given those festivals is to bring about a time where the people can remember who God is and what he's done for them. That's what it's all about. It's remembering his character. Uh, so bringing that into our world, into the New Testament, we need to find practical ways that we can remember who God is and remember his character, remember how he's acted on our behalf. That's so vital to our spiritual growth uh, because we're forgetful people. We forget very quickly and we're constantly battling doubt and fear and all these things. Even though God has always delivered on his promises in the past, he's a, he's a faithful God that can be trusted. And the law points to this, our entire Bible points to this, and yet we forget all the time. Um, so these were brought in to remember God's character and his faithfulness to his people. Uh, now real quick, how does the, the law move the story forward? So this is where the law finds its place in our story throughout scripture, but how does it project forward? Uh, well, what we see when we study the law is it gives us a really clear roadmap to everything that's about to happen in Israel's history. Um, so, and, and you realize, like, if they would just have followed the basic tenets of the law, things would have gone so much better. But we're sinners who don't listen to God. So Deuteronomy 7, uh, if you study that, gives a warning of what's going to happen if Israel doesn't destroy everyone in Canaan when they enter. Well, they don't, and that comes to fruition. Bad stuff happens. Deuteronomy 17 tells Israel the character of their future kings that they will eventually ask for. Like, they don't even ask for a king. And God's like, hey, by the way, when you get into the land, I know you're going to ask for a king. So just know, like, these are the characteristics you need to look for. Well, they totally ignore that, and a lot of that stuff happens. Deuteronomy 29 tells Israel if they don't obey the law, they'll be taken from their land, and they'll be ruled over by a foreign nation, which is exactly what happened. Spoiler alert. Sorry, but, but that is what's going to happen. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Deuteronomy 30 tells uh, us that God will eventually give his people a new heart, one that leads us in obedience to him, and that happens through Christ. So the law points to Jesus in so many ways. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the law. On the cross, Jesus takes on our sin, dying under the curse of the law, under the curse of sin. 
Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. It's superior to all other Old Testament sacrifices that have to be offered on an ongoing basis, after one after the other. Jesus is the better priest. He's the better mediator between God and man. Jesus is the only one who can bring the full blessings of obedience uh, from which the law promises. He can only bring, he's the only one who can bring true freedom from sin and complete, whole relationship with God. So hopefully that gives you a better understanding of the law. Read Leviticus. It's really good. <laughs> it's awesome. The word, plus it's the word of God, so you know, you should read it. I'm just saying. Um, but don't be scared. Don't be scared. The law's good. If you got the questions, or like you know, you're reading through it right now and you're like, I don't understand it. It's like, please reach out. I would love to talk about this more. Um, I've got some good books I can point your way as well. So that's all I got right now. That's great. Thank you, Travis. Was that helpful? Good. And that goes back to um, something we mentioned last week. We're, we're going through, and Travis just did this a lot, we're going through kind of chronologically the story, but one more thing we've mentioned in addition to the meditating on passages, but also we're, that we're looking at the story backwards too. We're looking at it through the lens of Christ. And Travis did a great job of that, of showing how the law, as we look back, as we look back at the Day of Atonement and the scapegoat and the sacrifices. Um, and we won't have time to go to all these reflections, but that gives us a better picture of what was going on, that they were pointing forward, but we can look back through the lens of Christ and see their importance, their beauty. Um, you know, it's talked about, you know, the Passover we did that was heavily emphasized. That Passover, you know, what that we look back through Christ and what that meant. Day of Atonement, the same idea. All these sacrifices. Um, it's amazing the festivals. Some of the things Jesus says in the Gospels. We won't have a lot of time to go into it, but our reflections of he says in the festivals, but then he'll say something that brings to mind what that festival's about, and he's saying I'm fulfilling that. It was pointing to me. Um, so that's the other way we're looking at this, and trusted a great job of, of reminding us of that. So um, we've gotten through Exodus and Leviticus. Um, let me go to Deuteronomy briefly. Um, Deuteronomy 6. 4 through 9, is called the Shema. Um, and Travis did a great job of saying, you know, so much of the um, of Deuteronomy is in Numbers, but especially Deuteronomy is, re- is remember, reflect back on this. The Shema is that idea of a daily remembrance. It's probably something Jesus would have said daily, um, the Apostle Paul would have said daily, it was a Jewish practice. Um, and it will sound familiar to you if you're familiar with the Gospels at all and um, the, the great commandment that Jesus says. So De- Deuteronomy four, uh, excuse, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And it goes on to say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, and press them on your children, 
talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Again, that's very much about relationship. It's about love. It's about being connected to to God. And clearly, Jesus is going to refer back to it. And even in Leviticus, um, Leviticus 19 is the other part of that, that great commandment that Jesus gives. Because that's where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So you take that Leviticus 19 and the Deuteronomy 6, you get where Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God. And then he goes on saying, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandment. Um, so any questions on the law, festivals, all good? Deuteronomy 10. I'm going to stick in, stay in Deuteronomy here briefly. Um, 10, 12 through 13. So now, Israel, what do you think God expects from you? Just this. Live in his presence with in holy reverence. Follow the road he sets out for you. Love him. Serve God, your God, with everything you have in you. Obey the commandments and regulations of God that I'm commanding you today. Live a good life. That's, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. If you see that in the realm of relationship and a loving God, um, I know oftentimes we can project our parents or other concepts of what we think God is like, but here is a loving God saying, I want what's best for you because I love you. And I want you all to live in unity and with each other well and with the creation well. Because that's what you were designed for and you guys have really messed it up. So, um, Deuteronomy 18.18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. And that appears to be a prophecy about Jesus. Um, I'm not, not going to, you don't have to take my word for that, but many scholars see that as a prophecy about Jesus, that Moses is saying. So the commands are summed up in Deuteronomy 26. Um, the Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws carefully, observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, and that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will listen to him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured position as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame and honor, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. And then Deuteronomy 30, 30, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. That, I mean, you, that one you could go home tonight or all week and just think of that. Listen to his voice. 
and hold fast to him. That could be a daily prayer for all of us. For the Lord is your life. That's key. We get our life to its fullest because of him. We don't get it on our own. It's not how we're wired. We just messed it up. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, that's back to that covenant we talked about at the beginning. So at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, Joshua is announced as the successor and prepares to take charge. Um, we did skip over briefly. Let me go back to the numbers situation. Um, because In Numbers 13 and 14, they send the spies into Israel to, to check out the promised land. And of the 12 spies, 10 of them come back with the negative report, we can't do this. Um, two say, no, we can do this. Because the Lord said we could do, you know, it's going to be ours. One of the two was Joshua. The other one was Caleb. Um, Joshua has shown throughout this, this time in the wilderness, this leadership quality, and Moses has very much relied on him. Um, So I wanted to go back and bring that as we, we go into Joshua. So Moses dies in Deuteronomy 32-34. As you may know, he, he's not allowed to enter the promised land because he sinned um, in the wilderness. He had a little, little temper tantrum. Well, look, kind of blew it. Um, and so he was not allowed to enter, but he was allowed to see it and knew that it was going to happen, um, which must... Um, don't know where he was buried. Um, sure some... Someone will claim they know, and we can see that in the National Enquirer. Um, part C, moving in. God is them entering the promised land, and Joshua takes the lead as the Israelites finally enter the land. Um, we get the story of Jahab, or excuse me, Rahab, um, assisting the Israelites in Joshua 2. The crossing of the Jordan River, Joshua 3, 4, which is bring, to bring to mind somewhat the crossing of the Red Sea, that whole idea. Get the Battle of Jericho in Joshua 5 through 6. Joshua 8, the renewal of the covenant, that event where the battle's taking place and the sun stands, the sun stands still during the battle, Joshua 10. And Joshua dies in Joshua 24. Um, throughout this, idolatry is a major concern of, of this book. Then we get to the time of the judges. Um, and Judges starts out with trouble, and it ends with trouble, which is an interesting bookmark of Judges. Um, and it, but in Judges 2, it kind of tells the whole story. It says, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then we get the various Judges. And I'm not going to go through each Judge. I'm going to highlight probably some of the more famous ones. Deborah in Judges 4. Gideon in Judges 6. Samson in Judges 13 through 16. Let me just say, again, as we talk about the real hero is God. He's the main character. The judges are flawed characters. Deborah may be the only one, maybe one other of the judges, that is spoken of completely well. Um, Gideon has his moments. Samson certainly has his moments. Um, so, you know, just keep in mind that these, these judges were brought up 
They're leaders, they're rulers, they're warriors, they're, you know, they serve as, not as kings, but God is the king at this time. So they're stepping up to take lead when needed. Um, but as the author talks about, as the book concludes, future signs of trouble. Because in Judges 21, 24 through 25 says, At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king, which is telling. So they were almost thinking of God not even as their king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So during that time of Judges um, comes a story of sadness and courage, a redeemer, and a family's future, which we read about in the book of Ruth. So here's our first case of the chronological situation. Ruth doesn't take place after Judges. It's taking place probably, I want to be careful about this, during Judges. These Old Testament books, I mean, we're real careful about the dates and timing on some of them because in a month a new scholarship will come out with a new paper and we'll refute all this. And But this is the idea is that Ruth is taking place during Judges. So this is, but which is really cool for two reasons, as we'll talk about. One is it narrows back into that family dynamic. This, we've kind of covered the big picture and these, these little pockets of things going on and these judges coming up and these bad guys coming in and Israel having to fight back the bad guys because Israel sinned. The judges step up, help them lead, get rid of the bad guys. They have some peace and then they go through the cycle all over again. But here God is focusing in on, again, this family, this relationship. So Ruth, we have the story of um, Naomi. She returns to Bethlehem in Ruth 1. That's key there. She returns to Bethlehem. Ruth meets Boaz in Ruth 2. Um, Boaz becomes the um, kinsman redeemer. Um, great series here on Ruth. If you want to go back and listen to the podcast on Ruth, highly recommend it. But that's a great portrayal, living portrayal of the idea of redeemer. Christ is our ultimate redeemer. But here's a family picture of a redeemer and what that meant to this family. And then in Ruth 4, it says, Ruth and Boaz have Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Talking about a big hint of what's coming. Cliffhanger right there. Because we know who David's going to be and what that means. And it goes back to that royal line. It goes back to that promise being kept by God. Um, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful story in the midst of, especially if you see it during the time of Judges, it really is this incredible story going on. This time of redeeming and protecting this family and you know, it's a happy ending for Naomi and, and, but it's also a future for the whole, for the whole world as that, that little family line hint is given to us. Of, of what, what's coming down the line. And it's, it's exciting. It's fun. So um, let me throw out some questions for you, for you all to ponder here. So get back in your groups and ponder these. Okay. As we've seen, ancient Israel often abandoned God and turn to idols. 
What forms of idolatry still lure Christians and the church? What forms of idolatry still lure Christians and the church? Which is an interesting way to phrase that question. So take a few minutes, but that's that's almost two, two parts of that question. One is individualized almost, and one is as a community, maybe as the universal church. Um, you could say the North American church, however you want to break that down. But that's more of a corporate, what, maybe even institutional church. So take a few minutes. What What is the issues with idolatry with individual Christians and with the church? Often, like some of these church scandals, it so much seems to be about the self and that it's too big to fail. So they've got to protect the churches or the institutions had to protect themselves. Almost reminds you of the banking crisis and the Great Recession of the banks were too big to fail. Well, some of these churches, they're so concerned. And this has gone on a lot longer than that is, you know, this has gone on throughout history, obviously, but unfortunately it's very rampant now with our information age. You hear a lot about it, but, um, you know, too big to fail. We see the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. You see a very various mega churches that have scandals um, just you know too big to fail so we'll take care of it internally to protect ourselves I'll say and it's because we want to do good things that we're doing on the side too but you know it does become about self that's good that's good two things I want to loop back to real quick here one is um, Travis mentioned it and I want to make sure I address it the spies go in in numbers to check out the promise when they come back. And they give that report. And at that point, God's God had it. The Israelites, is, well, here on Sunday mornings, more, you know, they've been complaining, they've been whining. Um, and at this point, when it gets back, the report from the spies says, you know, we can't, he's about, it's done. It's not so easy. That is the point where he says, you know, I'm going to let this generation die out. Caleb and Joshua are good to go. The, the rest we're going to have to let them, the next generations come up to go into, into the land. That's where that, the 40 years especially starts kicking off of, of that because of just the constant whining and lack of faith and trust, even though what they have seen, what they have seen. So I'll make sure I address that. Another thing I want to address is related to that, and we're going to see this throughout Scripture, but there, it's the idea of... Um, of this idea of slavery. And we, Travis talked about it, but we are, we are slaves to sin. Um, we are slaves to, you know, our self-interest. You know, as Nikki just said, you know, the idea of self. Um, we are slaves to a lot of things. Israel wants to keep going back to Egypt. This is a constant problem. This will be a problem all the way up through the prophet Jeremiah. He's, he, he's kind of, why do you guys want to keep going back there? <laughs> He's kind of he's kind of had it, and it's that overall theme, that idea of we keep wanting to go back. To, we'd rather go back to what's comfortable, even if it means not doing what's best for us, what he desires for us, um, and maybe going back to that sin and that evil desire. But it's also going back to what's comfortable, what they knew. Said so, you know, it'd been easier in Egypt. So that draw of Egypt is constantly there. It is constantly there. And I'm not saying every passage about going back to Egypt is 
means that. Obviously, Jesus had to go back to fulfill when he was young. But the idea of going back for those motives of, it's getting too hard for us, God. We'd rather go back. And that, that idea of, we'd rather be slaves. We'd rather be slaves, you know, in that land, um, even if you've shown your trustworthiness. And we do that with our lives, our sinfulness. Um, you know, we'd rather go back to that. We'd rather go back to that. But the Spirit gives us that strength, that idea of freedom and courage. And it's a grace and mercy thing from God to help us get past that and to have that abundant life apart from that. Next thing I want to go to is go back to the Shema briefly about the love of the Lord your God. We're going to revisit this some in the in the New Testament. Um, there's some cool connections that um, scholars have found in the New Testament that talk about that refer back to the Shema. Whereas, and we talked about this in the creeds class in, in the fall, because the, the Shema is probably one of, if not the first creed in Scripture, or pre-creedal statement. You can see there are other ones, um, especially in the New Testament. Um, but the Shema is probably first creed-like thing in Scripture. Um, and some of the wording, for example, that Paul will use will bring to mind, especially in the, the Jewish readers of his letters, the Shema, because he's talking about the Lord. And if he's talking about Christ in this way, in this passage, what he's saying in this letter, is he saying Jesus is the Lord we're talking about in the Shema? Is he... It's that kind of connection. It's that kind of statement. It's it's really not even a guess. Paul's saying it. And we'll get to those passages when we get to the New Testament. But it's a, don't miss the Shema. Also, it is large basis of monotheism. This idea of who the Lord is. He's one. He's, he's God. That's it. And this is highly relied on as the monotheism of of the Bible um, really launches with that that statement, and um, so even in the New Testament, you know, the, again, when Paul's referring to this and looking back and saying, "Look at Jesus in this way," let me draw some Shema language into some statements about him. There, you know, it's making them think: Is Jesus God? How is this? Whoa, that's right. But how's this connected? It's it's powerful. It's powerful. So I don't want to miss that. Next question, then we'll wrap up for you all to talk about. I was going to bring up another one, but I'll pass on that one because that will be controversial. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. See if you guys want to talk about this one. We no longer live in a semi-theocratic regime like Israel. How do God's laws inform public life in Western democracies such as ours? Would you guys like to talk about that? Would you rather let that one? Okay, we'll let that one pass. Um, we have seen that the people of ancient Israel often took their relationship with God for granted, forgetting that God's blessings would come to them only so that, they, so that as they remained faithful and obedient partners in the covenant relationship. How do we sometimes take our relationship with God for granted? All right, we'll, we'll wrap up with that. Um, any questions? Threw kind of a lot at you, but 
I think that was a lot. Wait till next week, because we're going full bore next week. We're covering the rest of the Old Testament, and maybe the time in between if we have uh, seen testaments if we have time for that. So we're going to be covering Saul, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah. We're covering a bunch of events, a bunch of characters. So. You know, bring notepad if you want, extra paper, because we'll be flying through this, and there's a lot of material. So, and um, a lot of events going on there, obviously. A lot of changes going on in the story. Um, we'll meet the character that I describe as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, um, so, just a lot, of, a lot of cool things, and it will lead us right up to the Gospels. Um, so, we're going to we not have time for many questions next week as far as discussion time because there's so much material they have to go through. But um, so be ready, have your hands rested. No, no carpal tunnel syndrome issues. So, um, but um, y'all have a great week. Let me close this with a prayer and we can head out. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time together and uh, just what your word means to us and uh, how you revealed yourself through it and um, and in history and with these individuals and. And uh, it's, it, the writings are left for us to, to be able to reflect on you and, and your purposes. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time of fellowship. Uh, we pray for the week ahead. Uh, we pray for this church and all it means and all its uh, ministry and uh, to all its members and uh, to the community around. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.